drop. Hey there, everyone. Christian Wynn, the director of Storyboard here. And you're listening to Storyport Presents, Voices of Treeport Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treeport Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this March we have been postponed until September of 2021, then we're back to March in 2022. But hey, we're still here to tell you about all things Treeport. And today we're gonna to go back out to our friend's place at the Idaho Botanical Garden. The launch of Bloom, a reading series, kicked off um, out there at the garden just this last Monday. And so we're gonna bring you today some awesome stories from Ty Simpson, but we also have some great young actors and playwrights from Odd Hours Theater. We have Calvin Pineda, Matilda Gotti, Michelle Carter-Cram, Bennett Hewn, and Noli Schneider. All, as I said, live from the garden. So, pretty fun stuff, COVID-related, uh, in a light way, in a heartfelt way, in a, in a funny way at times, too. So, enjoy this episode, and we want to say thanks. We hope you're all doing really well out there. Enjoy. Welcome. Thanks for being a part of the series, and we're super excited to, to have you kick up the whole thing off. So, Ty Simpson, everybody. Thank you all. Look at us. We're outside with other people. It's weird. I'm not, I may or may not have had a mild crisis about what to wear outside in public with people looking at me. So that happened today. <laughs> um, but here we are. I had a, I don't, in storytelling spaces that are very casual like this, I kind of just let us vibe uh, through the evening, kind of what comes to me. But I think I'm going to try to keep it light. However, there are a couple of stories I may or may not tell. So a little bit of a trigger slash content warning that involve violence and death and police violence. So I want you to honor your human needs. If those are things you need to step away from the space as I tell that story, um, please do so. I will not be offended. I'm really glad I put this sweater on while my turquoise shirt was cute. It's cold. This wind is a little aggressive. I'm offended. I'm going home now. <laughs> Being outside is hard. I'm a misanthropic extrovert. Like, oh man, I love people. I love y'all, but I hate it. <laughs> so that's where I'm at today. We were cracking some jokes as we got started or as we showed up, me and my comrades over here in the corner. Um, we'd like to speak to the manager about who decided to put a meditation garden next to an old prison. I have questions. <laughs> And among those questions are who signed off on that? Like who really thought that that was a good idea? And uh, not because it's, I mean, it's a questionable idea, but because the space, the ancestral territory of the Niwa and Numu nations and the sheer number of their ancestors that are buried in this very small square mileage. So I would like to make and take a moment of silence to recognize those ancestors uh, who have come before us on this very land, on this very space and whose resting places are on this very, very park. Katsia, yeah. Uh, 2020, 2021, what a year. Um, 
who knew? Was it the year of the rat, Dalton? Year of the rat. That's got to be, that's got to have some meaning, some tragedy, something associated with it. This is going to be a year that goes down in history, but half of y'all got good at cooking. The only thing I can make are reservations. So <laughs> last year was a bit of a struggle. Uh, the first weeks, right? Like we all endured this shock. We all endured like how surreal it was for us to go from living our normal lives to being locked in our homes with each other. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, the loss, the loss of, I lost speaking engagements. I lost, uh, I'm a boxer. So my fights that were scheduled were canceled. Um, and the frustration of not knowing what comes next. And one of the things that I was really frustrated with is the way y'all acted around toilet paper that will also go down in history. Uh, but at the same time, so many of us felt determination, like this community care. We can do this. We can take care of each other and we can make sure that we're going to get through this lockdown and we're going to face COVID with bravery and courage. And, you know, my way of doing that was to buy hundreds of dollars of at home gym equipment only to spend weeks watching Hallmark romance movies. <laughs> Who else? Raise your hand. Just me? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's crazy. As uh, as Christian mentioned, I work for the Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. So my lens is always like this very womanist, uh, anti-violence, anti-patriarchy kind of lens. And here I am watching Hallmark romance movies unabashedly. <laughs> the hyper-patriotism in those, y'all, or the hyper-patriarchy in those is, is damaging. And yet, here I am. Multiple truths can exist, you know? <laughs> It makes me a better storyteller. That's a lie. <laughs> uh, right before we went into lockdown was this really interesting transition period for me. Uh, I moved in to my very own apartment after having, uh, it's my first time living alone in over seven years. Y'all, I had lived with partners, I had lived with family, I had lived with roommates, and so this was my first time uh, with no roommates and no grown ass men to clean up after. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> And I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for the price of patio furniture. Why didn't anybody tell me? Why isn't there a memo? I wasn't prepared for the price of plants and like the obsession with plants that you get. Oh, that fills a void. There's retail therapy and then there's plant therapy. And that's kind of like my new vibe. I went from like zero plants to now probably 15 or 16 plants in the house. When people take care of my house, I demand that they sing to my plants because that's important. Sing them a song as you water them. And uh, like how many trips I've made to Edwards the week before last is mildly embarrassing. Don't judge me, y'all. <laughs> and then um, it was a lesson in how to honor myself by living alone. It was a lesson in patience and in grace and in learning the difference between loneliness and being alone. And at 37 years old, right, damn near having a midlife crisis because I'm a single 37-year-old woman of color in Idaho. God, that sounds like a biopic, doesn't it? That should be a Hallmark movie. Somebody write that down. Patented, patented. <laughs> uh, but I learned uh, a really powerful lesson and I think I'm still learning that lesson that uh, I'm stronger than I think. 
uh, more resilient than I think. And I attribute that entirely to uh, the women uh, from whom I'm a uh, from whom I'm a descendant. So those first few weeks were, you know, fluctuations of shock and surreal surreality and, you know, dismay and despair and then laughter and then laughter at myself and, you know, trying to create a routine. And then I got serious. So then I got really serious. My mom got COVID, right? So in those weeks of going into lockdown and not having answers, there's still so many unknowns and you still don't know how seriously you need to take it. Not by all the paper towels seriously, you know, not by all the toilet paper, like that's not that seriously until, until you see somebody very close to you get COVID. Uh, my mom lives in my brother's home about 250 miles north of here on the Nez Perce Indian Reservation in a little teeny weeny town called Rubens, Idaho. My brother just bought a shop there that comes with a house. And I'm serious, the shop is twice the size of the house. Um, and I, I made it a point to go home um, because I was terrified and I knew that nothing would really assuage my fear for my mom's well-being other than seeing her. And uh, when I got home, my brother had sent up a, set up a camper trailer outside for me to sleep in. That's how serious it was. He didn't want me to go in the house. And so through the window, I see my mom, a matriarch of my community, a healthcare professional, a medicine woman, a woman I have seen with vigor and strength and power my whole life, just crumbled up as a tiny old woman on the couch underneath piles and piles of blankets. And to see her through the window and make eye contact and see a flurry of emotions run over across her face. The first emotion was anger because she told me not to come. Her second emotion was gratitude because she could see that I was well. And then the third emotion was deep, deep sorrow for her to not be able to get up to see her try to move her little body and not be able to get up. And it was the same for me. I'm not a hugger. I hate it when people touch me, just ask my friends. Um, and, but my mom's hugs, there's always something about a mother's hugs and I wasn't able to have it during that two day overnight trip that I was home just to see my mom. And uh, I did get to talk to her through the door and hear her little raspy voice through asthma and pain and uh, pneumonia that soon came after the COVID. But that's when it got really serious. It got serious for me that everywhere I went, you know, that's why the masks were important. Everywhere I went, that's why hand washing, side note, hand washing shouldn't have just got popular last year. Y'all should have been washing your hands. That's low key gross. We're, humans are gross. <laughs> Uh, but hand washing became a point of, of like everywhere you go, like keys, mask, hand sanitizer. Like, can we keep that going in perpetuity? I'd really love for that to be a thing forever. And um, I also know that some families weren't fortunate to see their mothers or their aunties or their grandmas recover. So if you are of a family who suffered that loss or know somebody who suffered that loss, I'm so deeply, deeply sorry for y'all. And I'm deeply sorry for our community, especially when we lose elders. In Indian country, our elders are walking, talking libraries, generations of knowledge. And we've lost a few. I think in my tribe, we've lost close to 15 in 2020. 
that's when it got serious. 2020 was serious in the face of police violence. Uh, when the whole world watched George Floyd lose his life at the hands of police brutality. When we watched and read about Breonna Taylor, these headlines splattered across newspapers. And just yesterday, just yesterday, another young man in Minneapolis. Man, if I could tell y'all, 2020, while there were things that were funny, Black people are tired, we're exhausted. We're kind of exhausted that sleep can't fix, not just in the face of COVID, which is one crisis, but in the face of police brutality, in the face of ongoing genocide against indigenous people, in the face of oppression and marginalization, we're tired. I am. One of the things I do want to talk about, though, you know, in the same vein as that tiredness, can we just talk about how COVID illuminated the serious mental health crisis, not just for myself, but for others, right? I knew I had some mental illness things to navigate through, but I didn't know how bad until I was locked in my house. I think that might be the hallmark thing. I've watched every episode of Vampire Diaries also. God weird. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a student of political philosophy, y'all. Like I've read everything from Kant to Socrates to Plato. And then here I am watching Vampire Diaries. Multiple truths can exist. Kind of. <laughs> um, and I hope that in the face of that crisis, I hope that in the face of whatever mental health issues became illuminated for you, that you are graceful with yourself, which is another lesson learned, that it was okay for me to leave not one, but two glasses in the sink every day. What? I could skip doing the dishes? My compulsion can handle that? Weird. Yeah. And then... um how I obsess over things. I obsess over the new things, right? That's my plant obsession right now. It was my truck. Uh, I bought a truck last year in the middle of a crisis, COVID crisis. I drive an F-150. Um, yes, I am a proponent for environmental justice, but you cannot put elk and buffalo in the back of a Prius. I said what I said. <laughs> the second Tesla makes a truck, I'll buy it, I promise. But for right now, <laughs> you're just gonna have to let me have my truck. Um, but at that time, right, in the middle of our crisis, in the middle of lockdown, my truck was getting like one to two months a gallon. You know, like that's pretty serious gas mileage. I wasn't literally going nowhere. One to two months a gallon. I'm serious, y'all. <laughs> uh, so many things to laugh at. These are the things, and I'm sharing all of these things, right, because it, like the, the world has just been so serious. And oh, God, and I forgot we had that president last year, too. Holy shit. Has it already been that long? It's been that long. Whew. That one guy, that one time we had that one president. Oof. Yeah. Somebody make that into a docuseries, too. It, there's so many things I want to share and laugh at last year. And I, and I think one of the things that I want to do with y'all is for you to think about the things that are worth laughing at, that are worth, that kept you and your families together, that kept it light for y'all in the face of tragedy and loss. Uh, and the fate, the onslaught of what we were seeing on modern news media, the, you know, the horrible trips to the gas station. Have y'all been in Costco? 
geez, single women don't go to Costco, but I went to Costco and legit had an asthma attack from panic. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's so many people touching things. Don't do that. We should stop doing that in grocery stores too, touching all the food. <laughs> but think about ground, ground yourselves in those moments of of levity and those moments of hilarity um, because those are the stories that connect us. As a storyteller, I always tell folks that storytelling is a, a, the fastest connection between two people and that is derived from um, a spiritual teacher named Norma Wong. Um, and the more we tell our stories and the more we share laughter and the more we share tragedy even, the more we understand and see the humanity in one another. And that's why I share some of these stories with you that, you know, I couldn't be the only one panicking in the toilet paper aisle, right? Like I couldn't have been the only one like ferociously ordering off of Amazon. To my chagrin, right? Amazon is a whole like crisis in and of itself from a capitalism standpoint. I'll go ahead and name that, but gosh, I have plenty of books now. Uh, I had to make a pact with myself too. How many people bought like 10 books at a time and read 10 pages and now they're still sitting? Yes, we need to start a book club, but only the first 10 pages of the book. <laughs> That's my plan. Uh, and uh, you know, it's moments, it's it's things like that. The the I went to pack up all of my winter clothing, which I shouldn't have done because it's freezing. Um, I went to pack my winter clothing for the season, and uh, packed it right on top of that hundreds of dollars of home gym equipment, and looked at it like, what am I doing? <laughs> so I pull it out and look at it, and then my dog chews it up as a reminder of like, yeah, you weren't gonna use that anyway. <laughs> uh, and who has dogs? Who has dogs? Oh. I don't know what I would have done without having my dog save me in the middle of lockdown. And this is my plan. Like, I literally can't go back to work in the office now. Like, if I can't go somewhere, my do if my dogs can't go, I'm not going. Like, I almost turned this down because my dogs couldn't come. You're welcome. I'm here. <laughs> um, another thing we did last year, y'all, we protested. Uh, we had a vigil for Black Lives. And... Uh, that turned into uh, death threats for your girl. Uh, I ended up getting a lot of death threats at my home. Um, and you know, the thing is, like, I, I'm a descendant of a chief. Like, I am a descendant of Chief Redheart of the Nez Perce Nation. Like, I come from a damn powerful line of indigenous people. So I wasn't so much afraid of the death threats as much as I was mad that they stole my Amazon packages, right? Like, <laughs> like threat me all you want, but can you leave the books on the door? It's not like they were going to read them. Oh, it was low-key disappointing. <laughs> I'm kind of having some strange feelings and I'm gonna share them with you because it's kind of interrupting the, my time with you. This place is haunted. Every indigenous person that shows up here will tell you that this place is haunted. And because we're moving into dusk, we're moving into this time that doesn't belong to life. Like nighttime, in my nation, we say leave the darkness alone. And since we're transitioning into the darkness, like you start to feel activity and you start to feel energy move around. And it's really, really distracting. So for some of you, I want you to go home and smudge. For others, y'all are on your own. You're cursed. That's that. <laughs> Sorry, it's what it's what it is. <laughs> I'd say call in your ancestors, but some of y'all's ancestors might have been the problem if we're being completely honest. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. We're all neighbors now. There's a lot of truth told in a joke, though. 
<laughs> so that was about 20 minutes of my stories. And I would really love, I got about three minutes left. Uh, there is room for questions. And so I would love to hear your questions about anything that I may have talked about or what it is to be a storyteller or, you know, what it means to keep uh, a vision of a vision for the future, despite the hardship that we've all faced. What are steps to building connections through storytelling? I'm happy to answer any of those questions that you might have. And I'm actually pretty curious, like what wines are y'all drinking? I'm making notes. Of <laughs> what questions do you have? Yeah, please go ahead and shout it out. So if you didn't hear that, the question was, have I thought about writing or storytelling about the Nez Perce in this area? Um, one, I have a really bad writing anxiety. I barely made it through college, so I don't write. I will tell. I talk. And the second piece to that, pre-contact, the Shoshone Bannock and Paiute people were at war with the Nez Perce people and over territory and resources. And not all out, like, flat out slaughter each other war like we know it in the modern age. No, just war over territory, skirmishes more than anything else. So like the story of the Shoshone, Paiute, and Bannock people in relation to the Nez Perce people would be war. The Nez Perce never came much further south because of that than the Payette River region. I mean, we've anywhere you see the confluence of rivers, those are actually um, socioeconomic highways for tribes prior to contact. And so there, of course, the confluence of rivers down here, the Snake River, Payette Lake, Payette River, those are all places where the Nez Perce had traveled and migrated, where the Shoshone, Bannock, Paiute, and Yakima people had actually migrated. So it would be an interesting story, and we tell those stories. It's just not one that I would I would write down, and it's not my story to tell. Um, and the reason why I say that, I'm a descendant of Red Heart. So the territory of Chief Red Heart was in the Bitterroot, Lolo Pass, Missoula, Montana region of our ancestral territory. So I could tell the stories of that area because that's who I'm from. Uh, down here, maybe Yellow Wolf, maybe Looking Glass. Um, it just depends on, on those family stories. And so what that we call in Indian country is a storied connection right whoever carries those stories is the one to share that story rather than you know the 1970 eras anthropology where like some white guy would come in from some fancy university and extract all this information and go write a book and make money about it don't do that that's not that's not how storytelling is supposed to work but that's a great question so yes we tell those stories that particular story is not mine to tell and I think because I'm big on solidarity and community building, I would leave that story to the Niwa and Numu people to tell because this is their homeland. Yeah. Any other questions, y'all? Yeah, please do. Oh, the storytelling that I've, oh gosh, that's such a great question. So in my anti-violence work, the storytelling that I'm finding most useful are the storytelling that are experiences, emotional experiences. So I was a, I also studied sociology in school, which is more qualitative than it is quantitative, but I studied political science, which is also very quantitative versus qualitative. All that aside, I think that we do not amplify 
stories of emotional experiences nearly as much as we should. We are so focused on numbers and data rather than the truest human experience, which is our emotional experience in the way that we move through the world. And those in my work are the ones that inform the work the most because it's it's very true, it's very heartfelt, it's very honest, and we need more of that in the world rather than, oh, well, what does the data say? You know, damn the data, you can make data look any kind of way you need it to look. But a human heartfelt emotional experience, especially in the face of tragedy, I think is the most powerful storytelling that we have and need to continue to, and it's old, it's not a new way of storytelling, it's a very old way of storytelling. And so bringing that back to the center of our uh, of our community building, I think is very important. And validating those experiences, not just hearing this story, but validating the story, not coming at it with a devil's advocate. Devil's advocate is just a really polite way of calling somebody an asshole. I said what I said. <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. Any other questions? Oh, thank you. That's a great question. I didn't do my traditional introduction, did I? My name is the storyteller in my indigenous language. Um, but as a cultural practice, as a spiritual practice, I mean, storytelling is my love language. Um, I really stepped into that probably about 10 years ago. When I would tell people that my name is the storyteller, my mom would say, yeah, she's just my bullshitter. <laughs> Both things are true. <laughs> and I really, um, I just... I think in storytelling isn't so much about me sharing stories. It's more about like, how can I create space for other people to tell their stories? Everybody's a storyteller. Everybody's moving through the world in a very powerful, meaningful way. And I want folks to share that story and know that their stories are meaningful and powerful. Um, not just, okay, her name is a storyteller, so she is the storyteller. Like, no, I, I just happen to talk a lot. Like that really is the long and the short of it. Um, musicians are storytellers. Rappers are storytellers. Photographers are storytellers. Like those are all stories, and they don't always have to be in words, you know. Um, and I think that I'm fortunate that it's been nurtured in me. Like my mom never asked me to be quiet. She never hindered my imagination. She never told me that I couldn't do something. She never, uh, she never discouraged me from moving through the world. However, I wanted to move through the world, and most of the time, I'm like an elephant stomping around in a china shop, but she was all right with that. Like things can be glued back together. So I'm fortunate to have my mother. I do now work in a job where storytelling is strongly encouraged. And I really, I really love that. I feel very validated in that experience. And so now my work, um, I hope the more opportunities I have to spend with young folks, so that they're empowered to be storytellers also, I think is, because adults, we're so boring, like, and we just lose it somewhere, right? Like we watch Hallmark movies and drive Ford trucks, right? Young people still have this big vision and big imagination for the world. And I think that that's what's missing. Uh, in everything. We, we need young people to inform politics and economics and innovation and technology because they're the biggest, best storytellers. And I'm talking young people like four and five and six years old. My nieces are the most incredible little storytellers. They drive me to drink, but they're the most incredible little storytellers. <laughs> Who's got a teenage, thir like 13-year-old, 14-year-old, all that sass. I cannot. I will fight a kid. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, sir, you had a question in the center? 
Oh, that is such a great question. Social media is a cesspool. I wouldn't even call it storytelling necessarily. I've seen very rare instances of social media being used in an authentic storytelling capacity. Um, but I think it has potential for that. Uh, I love social media because it connects people across the globe. It minimizes distances uh, in a way that we couldn't have imagined when social media first came out. My father um, retired in Singapore. So now that I have him on one or two different social media applications, it allows me to be close to him in a way that I haven't been prior to social media existing. But wow. Um, it's difficult to use social media in an in an authentic way because the focus isn't so much about how poor, powerful the story is. It's about how much uh, how much uh, interaction and engagement one can curate, and and I think that that's the obstacle. So to answer, there's no clear answer to your question. I'm really speaking from opinion in this. I curate my social media because I have a lot of death threats, right? Like I don't want people to see my nieces or what they look like. I don't want people to know where my brother lives or what he drives. I don't want people to see my mom's face very often. I mean, I put them up from time to time, but I archive it pretty quickly. I can't, I feel uh, that I cannot share my truest self on social media because there are people who will use it for harm. Um, and I think that that's proliferated in the age of technology. Uh, people, anybody can be, anybody can be an asshole behind a keyboard, but in certain facets of my work, uh, people will show up at the house and that's what makes it difficult. Uh, young people I think are being creative with it on like TikTok, like video storytelling, like that's amazing. I don't know how to TikTok, like that's how old I am, y'all. <laughs> but from what I've seen, it is very clever and I love the storytelling that comes from it. Part of storytelling is also, uh, there's an accountability piece to it, that things that I put, that I say out in spaces like this, usually make it back to my mom or to my grandma or somebody in my family that says, okay, you're accountable to us. This is what you said, let's fix it. Like, And it's not necessarily a bad thing. In social media, there is no accountability. There is nobody in community that can call us in or call us up when harm is being done. And I think that that's the tricky kind of adverse effect of social media. I'm a big proponent of technology as long as we stop extracting minerals from the planet in excess. Like, so there's some, there's some limitations and boundaries to our technological use. I mean, we have a giant ball of fusion in the sky that I think that we should be using more than we are. Uh, but that's a different TED talk for a different day. Uh, speaking of TED talks, I have one. Uh, this is where you're all like, ooh, right? <laughs> As a millennial, like when you say you have a TED talk, it's like akin to driving a Benz. I don't drive a Benz, but it's like this unique little elitist club. Uh, I'm, this is just in my experience. I don't feel that way, but I do have a TED talk and I would love it if y'all would go and watch it. Um, I tell some old stories and I blend them with some new stories and I really had a great time uh, storytelling, but there's a piece about technology in that TED talk. So that's why I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, thank you for that question. When I introduce myself as a storyteller, I tell folks that the stories that I carry are not my own. They're passed intergenerationally to me. And we're talking over the course, generation to generation for 15,000 years, how long Nez Perce people have been on this land. And the stories that I am creating and writing with my life belong to my descendants. So I think that if we look at the way that we're living our lives as a story, 
that we're giving to our descendants, that we are responsible and accountable to our descendants. It makes it easier to keep a big vision for the future, that what I'm doing right now has an effect down the road. Um, and we're talking generations down the road. There are some cultures in the world that create altars to honor their ancestors. And I know that in my life, I hope that I'm living my life in a good way so that I can be an ancestor worth honoring on my descendants' altar. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Oh, that's such a great question, too. Thank you. Um, so there are certain cultural practices that I've been fortunate and honored to be a part of since I was a very little girl. Some of the stories I carry, uh, I've heard thousands of times in my lifetime because I've gone sweat or because we have coming of age ceremony or because we have family gatherings or uh, because we go to longhouse, which is a spiritual practice, a religious practice for some tribes. And these stories are shared over and over and over again. And what's really really interesting about them is that the lesson that I learned from each story is different every time, every single time. And um, if I forget, fortunately, I have an, uh, elders that I can ask again. Some of them I've started to record. I'm trying to venture into podcasting a little bit uh, where that's where our old ways and technology meet. And that can also be very tricky from a cultural standpoint because some elders don't believe that our stories should be recorded. They still believe that they should be kept oral. Um, but while there's others that are really into technology and will allow themselves to be recorded. So it's a bit of a both and, but building relationships and maintaining relationships elders is probably the most powerful way that I'm able to keep keep these in my memory and then telling them, right? So it's like uh, learning something new. You learn how to do it and then the more you keep doing it, the more it becomes easier to remember and to do. It is definitely an honor and a pleasure to have been here this evening with you. I appreciate, thank you for allowing me to story tell. Like I said, this is my love language. So this is my gift to you and you all being here is your gift to me. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Another round of applause for Ty Simpson, everybody. And yeah, that was an amazing way to kick off this series um, that happens the second Monday of every month from April through September out here in the Meditation Garden. Hello. Oh, look at that. Hi, everybody. Uh, <laughs> now that we finished our sound check, we can actually get started. Um, Thank you everybody for being here. It's truly really great to see everyone. It's nice to have an audience again. That's a thing we've been lacking for a sizable amount of time. My name is Calvin Pineda. I am the artistic director of Odd Hours Theater Company. Uh, Odd Hours Theater Company is a student-led, student-run organization dedicated to producing the work of young theater artists. We produce plays and site-specific theater, podcasts, uh, and are incredibly excited to share tonight with you this show, our show, Stay Negative, a comedy for the play. We know that the past 13 months have not been ideal, to say the least. And we believe that in times of prolonged crisis, it's important to find the good and the bad, and to hold them up, and to examine them, and then to write sketch comedy about them. Um, so the pieces that you'll see tonight are part of a collaborative developmental show written by the actors that you see before you between the months of November and January. Odd Hours Theater Company relies on versatility and creativity and a healthy dose of chaos, and we believe that this is what this show is. 
It's stories about joy in strange places, laughter in the face of darkness, and hope for the sake of hope. Uh, so, with that said, please enjoy the show. Consider following us on Instagram at uh, oh.theater. And as a friendly reminder, uh, positivity is useful, but in times of plague particularly, we do believe that we cannot overemphasize the importance of staying negative. And with that, please enjoy the show. Stay negative, a comedy for the play. Scene one, the puzzle. Benny Goodman takes the cake. Two large chairs sit 10 feet apart. They look like something you would find at a thrift store for $29.99. The lights are dull and there is a slight humming in the background. A record player sits on a stool nearby. Enter Bennett, who glances around briefly before sitting in the nearest chair. He pulls out his phone. Enter Calvin, carrying a notebook. Hey, hello. Uh, are, are you hungry? A bit. Great. I'll be right back. My sister made quesadillas. She wasn't wearing a mask or anything when she made them. Does that matter to you? She didn't spit on them, did she? <laughs> no. Sure, I'll have some. Great. Calvin exits. Bennett stands. He wanders around the stage for a second, then sits back down. Calvin re-enters, carrying a plate and a stack of records. Uh, here you go. The two of them awkwardly shuffle to keep their distance. Calvin sets the plate on the chair and backs away. Is that your player? Uh, yeah, it's a Christmas present from 2017, I think. So small. It's portable, I guess. You want to listen? Sure. Calvin puts on a big band record. Swinging, gentle, immediately nostalgic. Calvin and Bennett look in place for a moment. Is this Benny Goodman? It's Tommy Dorsey, I think. You say I think a lot. <laughs> I guess. Uh, how's your semester going? Oh, mine ended yesterday, actually. Really nice. I'm just glad it's over. I bet. This one dude. Okay, so my professor, right? He's this big shot guy from like California or whatever. He's the one teaching my Jesus and history and archaeology class. Right. So he assigned us this final paper, right? And it was supposed to be about a way that Jesus impacted the ancient world from a secular perspective. Uh-huh. And this one kid who was on the call, he kept raising his hand, like, like literally raising his hand physically. And so my professor finally calls on him, and this dude is like, but what if we don't think Jesus had any impact on the world? And my professor is like, okay, well, I guess you could write about that, you know, try to convince me. And the dude was like, that sounds hard though. And you could just see the professor trying to contain his rage because he's been teaching this class for a whole semester. And this guy is basically like, yeah, but what if everything you've told us is just completely irrelevant? And then he left the call. The professor? No, the student. That's insane! Right? Oh, uh, uh, I have crossword puzzles. We, we could do that for a bit if you want. Sure. Calvin produces two crossword puzzles. This one is, is movie-themed, and this one is, like, geography, I think? Uh, I'll take the movie one. Calvin walks towards Bennett, who hops out of the chair and backs away. <laughs> Shit, sorry. It's okay. Sorry to be so paranoid. Honestly, it's better that you are. Um... He sets the puzzle down on the floor. Bennett picks it up. The two sit, pencils in hand, and scratch away at their puzzles. I need a 1941 comedy drama starring Gary Cooper in the title role. Oh, no. Uh... Along Came Jones. Too many letters. 
Honestly, my Gary Cooper filmography is not up to snuff. Wow, uncool. Yeah, I know, I'm uncultured. I'll come back to you. How do you spell Kyrgyzstan? Is that really part of the puzzle? Maybe? You think the Idaho statesman was putting together their crossword puzzle and was like, you know what our general readership will totally nail? The Middle East. Kyrgyzstan is in West Asia, I think. I rest my case. Long silence. They do not look out from their puzzles. Case numbers are pretty bad, huh? Yeah. Sounds like it. Everything shut down so fast. It feels like something out of a movie. Mary Poppins Returns. What? Sorry, I figured one out. Uh. People say it's gonna get better in the summer. Who says that? I don't know, people. Is Monaco in Italy? I think so. Thanks. I just hope we're kind of back by the beginning of next semester. One more Microsoft Teams session and I will break something and cough on it. Uh, wanna, wanna switch puzzles for a second? Sure. They toss the puzzles towards each other. Let's just work on these for a second. Sounds good. They scratch away once again. Bangladesh borders India, right? Yes. Does Tony McGuire have that extra E in his name? Yes. After a long moment, the two of them stand in perfect unison. They circle broadly to the other's chair. Set the puzzle down before returning to their own. Which year was the Godfather 2? I need the capital of Angola. They stand again, circle around, set the puzzles down, return. Pakistan? His Girl Friday. The Indus Valley. La La Land. Black Klansman. Johannesburg. Quentin Tarantino. Northwest Territory. Circling faster, going nowhere. Bolivia. Dr. Strangelove. Tasmania. Paris. The music stops. Bennett is standing near where he entered. Thanks for having me over. Let's do this again soon. Bye. Goodbye. Bennett exits. Calvin picks up the plate and exits. Scene two, Platitude Poetry. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to the reading. Pretty, uh, big crowd today. Okay. Thanks. This piece is called... Patience. After careful consideration, I want to thank you for your patience. Even in these challenging times, I want to thank you for your patience. Your patience will continue to meet any challenge that confronts us as a college, as a nation, as a global community. These last few months and the ones ahead are a period like none other we have faced as a college, as a nation, as a global community. But our first priority is and must be your patience. Students have patience. Doctors have patience. Patients have patience. In these unprecedented times, in these uncertain times, I'll limit myself to this, as the word patience has become a cliche. After careful consideration, I am grateful for your diligence. Two hands in blue latex gloves reach out from behind the curtain and snap. Exit. Scene three. Mute. 
Enter Bennett carrying a laptop. He sets it down center stage, his unmasked face towards the audience. He opens it and turns his attention to his Zoom call. Okay, but if I need a passcode to get into the call, why didn't you send it to me, Matilda? Sound of admittance to his Zoom call. Hi, Bennett. Oh, hi, Matilda. I was just talking about you. Sorry, say that again. You're cutting out a bit. Oh, I was just saying... Bennett continues moving his lips, but his voice is silent. He stops. Uh, sorry, what did you say? Um, <clears throat> sorry. Never mind, it wasn't anything important. Okay then, so I just wanted to go over the plan for, ne ne for rehearsal next week with you. Uh, you didn't have any conflicts for next Tuesday, did you? Oh, actually, I was planning on... But I can't actually... Unless you really... It's pr pretty bad, dude. Uh, you're cutting out again. Is, is your Wi-Fi okay? Matilda, I'm still talking. I don't know what's... Oh my... What? Why is it? Uh, okay, I'll just go over it really quickly with you. So, we're gonna meet next Tuesday from Matilda like 5 to 6. Um, but, but before we do that, we're probably going to be doing some Suzuki and few points and then run scene 2. It's happening. <laughs> Why can't... No, 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 no. That Uber Eats guy. I didn't tip him. And he said... An ancient Mesopotamian curse. Celebsagon, god of Zoom. Chicken nuggets, and slammed the door in his... Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my... He falls completely silent, mouthing words of anguish and distress. Bennett? You're muted. Bennett silently lets out an impassioned, No! Twilight's own theme begins to play. Enter Rod Serling. Portrait of a man, Mr. Bennett Hewn. What he's now facing is a nightmare, for Mr. Hewn has been muted in real life, and without his voice, he will find it difficult to communicate over the perpetual Zoom call of the Twilight Zone. Rod tries to smoke a cigarette, but it bumps on his mask. Bennett silently screams. Exit. Scene four, religion. Enter Bennett and Michelle, both wearing a single item of exercise regalia. Enter Matilda, outfitted like something between an MMA fighter and a soul cycle. Greetings, weaklings! Welcome to today's workout! I hope you're ready to stay whole and get swole! I'm Matilda, your instructor, guru, and prophet to the god of shred! They begin intensive leg stretching. If you've been listening to those commies over at Central District Health, then you know we're not supposed to have events because they might kill people. So what happens if someone from Central District Health shows up? I can't get arrested. Tonight is bar hopping with the gals. Oh, uh, well, CEH, if you're watching, uh, I'm here to tell you one thing and one thing only. Huh. Can't touch us if we're a religious servant, assholes. From now on, everything we do is for Jesus. <laughs> Are you ready? Let's go towards the heavens. I want you to literally touch the hands of God. Let's go. Nice. That's nice. Now go ahead and do some arm joint stretches. Left side. Good. Right side. No, both sides. Like you're Christ suffering for the sins of all mankind. I'm suffering. This stretch really challenges him. Change it up. Uh, lie down, knees up. 
Right, these sit-ups are metaphors for your spiritual awakening. Are you awake? Michelle and Bennett, very poor form sit-ups. I'm awake! I'm awake! I'm awake! I'm awake! I'm awake! I'm awake! Switch it up! Push-ups! Alright, it's like an act of prayer! Pray with me! Oh, our Father who art rich, hulking me thy shoulder! to state that neither we nor our individual members have any experience in or around places of public exercise. The views presented in this sketch do not necessarily represent those of gyms, YMCAs, tandem bike rental facilities, daytime kindergarten swimming instructors, or their affiliates. Thank you. Exit all. Scene 5. How to become productive during quarantine in six easy steps. Bennett enters with a large, big headset microphone. He holds a remote that is not connected to anything. What is motivation? How do we know if we're going to get something done? What is it that drives us from point A to point two? My team and I have spent the last one week attempting to answer that question. Let's take a look at the tape. He gestures towards a visual aid that is not there. The expectancy theory of motivation, popularized by psychologist Victor Vroom, states that motivation is not only dependent on how much an individual wants something, but also how likely they are to achieve it. Oh. Let's use an example. Let's say, hypothetically, for the sake of argument, that my grades were going down the toilet. Mm. Again, imaginary scenario. Of course. What I want in this scenario is an A in the class. Oh. However, I don't believe I am very likely to achieve it. Why? Because I've spent the last three months playing Sudoku on my phone instead of listening to any of my lectures on Microsoft Teams. Mm. Again, completely hypothetical. In fact, I have gotten so good at Sudoku that I no longer want to get an A very much. The thing that I value more is the beauty of the Sudoku, the way the numbers align, the simplicity of it. I am transported for a fleeting moment into a world in which everything fits into place. A land of three by three arrangements of squares, all with equal size as a square. <laughs> this place brings me comfort. A comfort that has been so dearly missing from my daily life. It has been complicated by the strain of online education. Our question approach is what say you? Hi, yeah, I was told that this was a talk about the conservation of endangered animals. In a way it is. Yeah, I see that. Um, but I was looking forward to vivid descriptions of how whales are dissected for their blubber. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint, but that was comforting. 
Uh, yes, you? Hi, Calvin Pineda, Caldwell Sun Times. Go ahead, Jack. My question is, what if I'm not into Sudoku specifically? Are there other brain-stimulating options? My friend Bill brings up a great point here. And the answer is that the specific activity doesn't really matter. One of the three factors of Dr. Rune's expectancy theory is valence, or the perceived value of a goal. If the valence of getting an A in your class is lower than a myriad of other options you can choose from, you are likely to choose those other options. I myself was quite caught up in achieving a 100% on through the fire and flames in Guitar Hero 3 for quite some time. Of course. However, after cutting my finger on one of the plastic buttons while playing on easy mode, I decided its valence was not as high as it uh, one more. Hi, uh, yes, I was just wondering, um, isn't there supposed to be an upside to all of this information? An uh, upside? Well, the program says how to become productive during quarantine in six easy steps. Why is it that? Uh, what are the six easy steps? An excellent question, and can we get a round of applause for this young man? I was going to write the six easy steps, but instead, I have forsworn all earthly pursuits to embrace the blissful release of Sudoku, which I played in the time I was supposed to be preparing this talk. Oh, and would you look at that? They're giving me the signal. That's all the time I've got. Join us next time for an interview with Timothée Chalamet and musical guest Lizzo. Thank you, and good night. Uh, it all. Scene six, catch the wind. In the chilly hours and minutes of uncertainty, I want to be in the warm hold of your loving mind. Calvin notices Michelle and introduces himself. She reciprocates. To feel you all around me and to take your hand along the sand. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. Calvin asks for her number, and she gives it to him. They stretch to maintain as much distance as humanly possible. She pulls out her hand sanitizer, applies it, and offers it so. Exit show. Exit Calvin. When sunlight the sky. I want to hide a while behind your smile. Everywhere I look, your eyes have fire. Enter Michelle and Calvin, talking on the phone. Me too, looking out. Would be the sweetest thing to make me sing. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. They hang up and exit. Free seat. Pedestrians walk the stage. Late to things, going to things, thinking things, doing things. Enter Michelle carrying a book. She sits. Enter Calvin. They wave, pull out their books, and read. Feeling occasional glances at each other.
When rain has hung the leaves with tears, I want you here to hear my fears. As the song fades, each absently reaches out a hand, holding hands from six feet apart. Don't start that again. Well, I just don't like them, okay? This is a doctor's office, Matilda. Of course you have to wear a mask in the waiting room. Well, it's a throat doctor. Won't they just tell me to remove it anyway? Calvin, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Just, just keep it on until they tell you to, okay? Fine. Ma- it, Calvin. Matilda? That was fast. The doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Matilda pulls off her mask, but there is another underneath it. Uh, what? Matilda, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. She removes the mask. There is another underneath it. And another. And another. And another. I can't get it off. Matilda, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Matilda, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Matilda, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Matilda, the doctor will see you now. Please remove your mask. Twilight Zone theme begins to play. Enter Ron Serling. What you're witnessing is a nightmare. Miss Matilda Gaddy, age 17. Miss Gaddy thinks that she has come to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. But in reality, she herself will be inspecting the ear, nose, and throat of the Twilight Zone. Exit all. Scene 8, Platitude Poetry. Bennett and Matilda enter. Have you ever heard of teen slam poetry? Now you have. They face each other and warm up vigorously. Hello! Hi. Welcome. She's Matilda. He's Bennett. And we'll be competing as a duo today. This piece is called... New Normal! We begin. Be safe in these unprecedented times, they said. Be mighty in these uncertain times, they said. I can look ahead with confidence, they said. For when the going gets tough, the the tough tough go online. President has decided to postpone things. To postpone things. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve, they said. New normal, new normal, new normal. Stop. No normal. College of Idaho students, we, we regret, regret to inform, inform you that, that a member of our young friend has contracted COVID-19. Bennett and Matilda face each other abruptly and in sync. They whisper as they exit. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. 
Blue latex gloves snap from behind the curtain. Scene 9, a notice from your school. Cheerful music. Enter Calvin's center stage at ease with himself in that deeply insufferable college video tutorial way. Oh, hey there, students. I didn't see you there. I'm just on my way to class. Want to join me? Come on! He begins an exaggerated pantomime walk in place. Here at your school, we're dedicated to ensuring that you have the best experience possible, even in these unprecedented times. That's why our administrators are hard at work, coming up with plans for your continued time at this school. Enter Bennett and Michelle at a distance behind him. They are deep in conversation. Calvin freeze frames. What are we gonna do? We can't keep losing students. Can we make taking a gap year a federal offense? How will we survive if we don't have their money? They don't need their money. They freeze frame. Calvin resumes his walk. Now first, I bet you're wondering about returning to campus. Well, don't worry. We've got safety protocols in place that will protect everyone in our school family. I heard that sunlight and bleach kills them. Okay, but how do we bleach sunlight? We could produce our own in-house vaccine made of peanut butter and the swine flu. Well, what if we just enforce mask wearing and social distancing? We could do that. Yeah. Or we could ask the faculty to sacrifice their firstborn child to a pagan deity on an altar of rock and bone. Yeah. We're confident that we can provide all the services and accommodations that you've come to know and love here at your school with only minor modifications. Okay, so if we convert our welcome to school t-shirt cannons into sandwich launchers, then we don't have to open the dining hall. What about housing? Oh, crap. Um, um a lottery. Squatters rights? Russian roulette! Some of you may feel that online education is the best choice, so we are putting together an impressive array of interactive remote classes that will fulfill all of your educational wants and needs. Okay, 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 so for geology, we'll just mail them a pack of rocks. What about biology? Make them get a cat. What do we do for English? Um, do they speak it? Probably. Oh, done. Math? Uh, what if we fire all the math faculty and use their salaries to order Ben and Jerry's? Great! Um, uh, what do we do for theater classes? <laughs> oh, we're not going to do anything about theater classes. No. Nope. We know that the pandemic has taken its toll on everyone's mental health. We highly encourage you to take advantage of our two complimentary Zoom therapy sessions for a demonstration of the sort of helpful and sympathetic nodding that you will receive. Here's one of our school therapists now. And here Matilda, nodding very sympathetically towards her phone, offering many mm-hmm. and oh and yeah. She exits. Here at your school, we know the value of a true liberal arts education. In these trying times, we understand that people would appreciate a little normalcy, which is why we have chosen not to lower tuition fees for your upcoming online semester. It's all about framing. Think about it. At least we're not raising tuition. You really think it'll work? What are they going to do? Drop out? Uh, Don't answer that. In circumstances of extreme need, please contact the accounts office to apply for an application for a waiver to reduce the student activities fee. Bennett and Michelle unfreeze and approach from behind, pleased with this generous offer. We know that this school year will be unlike any other, and we are confident that our students will be able to rise to any challenge with grace and understanding. And if you have any questions about this video, please do not hesitate to rewatch this video. And as we say here at your school, nice! They give a thumbs up and exit. Scene 10, the good, the mask, and the ugly. Enter Bennett and Calvin from opposite sides. They are carrying shopping baskets and are jovially perusing the items in the aisle. At center stage sits a single bottle of hair conditioner. They both spot the bottle at the exact same moment and slowly turn to face each other. A minor guitar chord rings off in the distance. 
they appear into each other's soul. The tension is palpable. Until. Hey, man, long time no see. I know, it, it, it's, it's been a while. Uh, how are, how are things going? Well, you know, it's going. Mm. Oh, up to anything fun? Nope, just this. The old ball and chain stuck me with the groceries this week. Ah, same here. Gosh, it is a jungle trying to find things in here, isn't it? I know, it's like the Wild West out here. The jovial tone disappears. They widen their stance. Neither man dares make a move. This is weird, huh? What's weird? Well, the, uh, social distance, as it were. Oh, yeah. It's funny, like, watch this. Bennett takes a step towards Calvin. Calvin backs away. See, it's like we hate each other. What? No. Really? Okay, I guess it's just me. Well, I-I'd better get going. I just need some... Hair conditioner. They lock eyes once more. Another guitar chord rings in the distance. They are bitter enemies in the lawless Walgreens. A tumbleweed crosses the stage. Okay, now that's weird. What? A tumbleweed. Indoors? Well, like you said, it is... Calvin dons a cowboy hat. The Wild West. A rattlesnake rattles in the distance. Bennett puts on a hat of his own. Listen, partner. This Walgreens ain't big enough for the two of us. Calvin spits on the ground, despite the fact that he's wearing a mask. <coughs> On that fact, amigo, we might actually agree. An eagle screeches overhead. The two begin to circle each other, circling like they've never circled before. The circle to end all circles. Uh, is that a gun? Sir, this is a Walgreens? Draw! What the hell, dude? Oh, shit, I'm sorry. I, uh, you oh, shot her? I, no, I just, there was the tension in the, in the cowboy hats, and you I- You brought I, a gun, a real gun, into a Walgreens? I admit, totally misread the situation. I do that a lot. <laughs> One time I was sure this girl was into me, and she you was not. You murdered her! Listen, I was stressed and confused, and I needed that hair conditioner, and, and the old ball and chain. Stop calling your wife the old ball and chain! I can't help it, I feel trapped in this marriage! Well, now you'll really be trapped in a jail. Cell. No. Were it not for my own hubris, this entire situation could have been avoided. The cowboys freeze. Twilight Zone theme begins to play. Enter Rod Serling. Portrait of a dick. One Mr. Bennett Hewn. A three-quart man and a ten-gallon hat. He's now wrestling in the big rodeo known as Idaho State Correctional. A journey into the wondrous land of misery and guilt. All over the last bottle of... The Twilight Zone. Bennett upraises and shoots Rod. <laughs> well, shit. Rod dies. Bennett kicks the gun over to Calvin and puts his hands up in a facetious gesture of surrender. Exit all. Scene 11. King Lear. Sounds of a distant rainstorm. Enter Shakespeare, played by Michelle, wearing a ruff and carrying a coral pen. She sits in a chair and writes, and writes, and writes. <sighs> Finally, she throws up her hands. Alack! I rue the day this horrid plague hath set upon my mind a murky fog. I am not so assured as to think that I could write a play with all this time. For how can I, a thespian by trade, be left to rot in this apartment suite without a soul for comfort nor for cheer? And knock at the door. Pray tell, what man or beast doth knock us here? And for Bennett in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Hey, Bill. 
Nobody's seen you in like three months. Ben Johnson said you were dead. Oh, dear Bennett, how it gladdens me to see a countenance like thine, so new and bright. Yeah, dude, uh, just wanted to see if you were still alive. <sighs> Are you okay? Uh, no, sir, I am not. Are you, by chance? Are you okay in times like these? <laughs> Forsooth, the plague, it rages night and day and night, defaming London's countenance. Am I okay? <laughs> I hope the word may ne'er again cross thine lips, nor mine, nor anyone's. I hate theater, kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not great out there. You know, I had to dodge like three bear baiting fights, and not a single person was wearing a mask. It's like the Dark Ages or something. I've not yet left my residence for fear of catching the plague or seeing anyone. The times have passed so slowly. I've not stepped in any house of purchase all the while. You haven't been to the store in three months? No, sir, nor 96 days hence, How indeed. How have you been How do you have toilet paper? No need for toilet paper when I have my writing here before me. Pages rent like all the paper trash they are. What? Bill, what are you talking about? You're a great writer. Oh, not since the plague hath done my prowess in. Okay, what about what about a Midsummer Night's Dream? I love that one. And the queen was super into it. The play was years ago. I'm older now and not so well disposed as in my youth. Oh, but you wrote that really good one last year, though. What, what was it called? The, the one about the, the, the guy, you know, with the thing. I tell you, sir, the plague. The plague's the thing. What about Antony and Cleopatra? Didn't you write that one back in, like, May? The, for the quarantine playwriting challenge? Uh-huh. Methinks this man is more reference than brain. So, uh, are you writing now? Yeah, every minute, sir. I try to write, but I am interrupted by this fear and hunger and the lonely places, too, which echo in my heart like hollow songs. I heard that Homer wrote the Odyssey during an ancient Greek gonorrhea outbreak. I cannot think to put upon the page not but my damned emptiness, and thus methinks the content suffers. As do I! Oh, come on. What's your play about? Uh, Tell me. I would not do you such a plain disservice. Are you sure? Yes. Alright, alright, okay. I could tell you a bit about the play. Only if you want to. Shakespeare jumps up and begins to set the scene. A father and his daughters split apart by jealousy and madness and by France. What is it with you and France? Dude? I say I like France. Fight me, smallish man. <laughs> so the play is about a father and his daughters? <laughs> You'd think so, but the crux of it is else. Two brothers dueling for their father's love in isolation, left alone to die, a million tragic deaths, and then they're sad. Sad? And then a mighty storm begins to blow, which rages like a metaphor for sin and causes all their houses to be rent in fighting and in sorrow and in pain. Okay. And then arrives a plot from wicked in-laws to depose the king. And in their haste and villainy, they set upon a local duke, and from him tear his eye 
face and grind them there upon the stage. She stomps on an imaginary eyeball. Just like in Reservoir Dogs. What? What? Then everyone is gathered for a fight against France and brothers and their sacred lands and fight they shall. With fiendish blows they swing until upon the land their blood runs red and brothers, king, and everyone are dead. Listen, Bill. Maybe now not the time to writing stuff that you know dark. People want comedy. They want to laugh and chortle and just have a good time. The jester of the court is present too. Hey, clowns! Clowns are good. And he hangs himself with an empty bar. Jesus Christ! Shakespeare is heaving his breath. I wish that I could write a happy tome. I wish it more than life, you understand. But nothing seems to come except the wail of sadness and a general despair. I'll have no more of this. It's done. I quit. Doing anything else in here? Or are you just writing this murder death letter? There is not much to be done if truth is told. I have this plant over here to which I tend. I've named him and I sing to him each day. Is that a, a fern? No, sir, it's an aloe. A mild beeping and it's somewhere off stage. Hey, what's that beeping sound? My sorrow! Yes, it's Francis. Beeping continues. Bennett makes his way over to a chair. He picks up the crumpled paper and reads. Shakespeare re-enters, removing an oven. Bennett looks over. Bill, did you write this? Oh, please set that down, my friend. I dare not. The weight of this sad time we must obey. Speak what we feel, not what we ought to say. The oldest have borne most, we that are young, shall never see so much, nor live so long. That's beautiful, Bill. I think you should keep writing this. I think it's perfect. Uh, I'm gonna go now. I've gotta leave my chamber pots out by the curb. I'll come back here again, if that's okay. And you can read me more of it, the play. Okay. Exit Ben. Shakespeare picks up the paper, glances at it, and after a moment, she exits. C12, Platitude Poetry. The cast enters, marching in a line. Colin stands center stage. The other three stand behind them. Hi, everybody. Hi, Calvin. My name is Calvin. This is a piece I composed after three months of using a meditation app. I have named it Positivity. In recognition of the COVID-19 pandemic, I offer Positivity. What brings you Positivity? Baby plants! Everyone blossom like a bonsai walnut tree. Positivity! Cat posters. Hang in there! Positivity! Me 
music. Hey, get your game for purposes of copyright infringement. Stay positive. Until we have the vaccine. Vaccine? 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 The only vaccine I recognize is Joe Biden. And together. Together, together, together. The only thing we have to fear is the word fear. Stay positive. Test negative. Stay. Negative. They snapped their way off stage. Finale. Some sunny day. Okay, everyone, that was our episode out there from the Idaho Botanical Garden. We want to thank the folks out at the garden um, and their fine staff and team and volunteers for helping us out. We want to thank, oh gosh, Tree Fort Music Fest, all you listeners. Uh, find out more about tickets and the app and merchandise and the upcoming happenings for September of 2021 at com. We want to thank Up Is The Down Is The for providing our awesome theme music. We want to thank Eavesdrop Studios and Podcast Network for hosting us. That's E-A-S-E-D-R-O-P.com. You can find out all about what they do. And... Um, September of 2021, we will see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.